Aseity? What in the world does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, November the 6th of 2008, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and I apologize, first of all, uh, for not having this up yesterday. Uh, As you guys know, or may know, or maybe you don't know, but uh, anyway, I recently moved to the state of Arkansas. We're going to be planting a church here, and we spent the first few days that we were here in uh, in a hotel. And man, let me just tell you, uh, having two small kids and uh, and being in a in a hotel room, uh, cramped up there for more than three days is enough to uh, to test your sanity. I'll say that. But uh, I I think I passed the test. I think I'm okay. But uh, anyway, we ended up getting a beautiful rental house uh, here in Fayetteville. Uh, the only problem is we can't get internet service until next Friday. Friday the I think it's the Oh, Friday the 13th? No, maybe it's the 14th. But anyway, we can't get uh, internet for another, you know, seven days, eight days. And so uh, what I had to do is I had to record this, and uh, I'm going to take this over to Panera Bread and try to upload it from the Wi-Fi over there. But uh, anyway... God bless you guys. I am so excited to be doing this again. We've, uh, you know, we had to skip last week's Knowing God lesson, and this is our fourth lesson in the Knowing God series, and I think this is just uh, a really fun study. This is uh, fun stuff for me. I hope it is for you, too. Uh, Just a quick announcement. Now that I am here in Arkansas, if you guys are interested in getting, uh, you know, any of the window stickers, the clear window stickers, I have found those. They are available. Uh, all you have to do is let me know that you want some. So if you want a couple or, or one or two or however many, just email me your address at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And uh, periodically I'll go over to Panera Bread and get on their Wi-Fi and check my email. So uh, anyway, if that's something that you want, you know, that's uh, definitely something that you can do. But uh, anyway, this has been an amazing experience here. Um, you know, the the Lord's really opened a lot of doors for a lot of conversations. You know, everybody wants to know, well, what did you move here for? Or where did you move here from? And that always, you know, inevitably leads to the conversation that we're here to plant a church. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've gotten to get into some really good discussions with people already. And I've been here, you know, less than a week. So praise the Lord. Uh, he's really, you know, opened some doors and, and uh, paved some paths. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So... Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson uh, with a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. And so through this lesson and through this series, Lord, I just pray that we would continue to know you better and to be drawn closer to you because we know you better. We love you and we give you this time today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue talking about God's non-moral attributes with a couple of God's attributes, which might seem to be a little bit confusing based on uh, the name of this lesson. I know that you probably uh, saw the name of this lesson and went, what? 
what is aseity? And I admit it, you know, when I first looked at the word aseity, I was probably just as intellectually intimidated and bewildered as many of you may have been when you saw that today's lesson dealt with God's aseity. But I promise you that it's really not a very difficult concept to grasp. Uh, it's just a complicated word. And uh, if you followed along in our previous lessons, if you understood those attributes, then you'll have no problem at all understanding what it means when we say that God has aseity. Well, the first thing that we should probably do is just try to define the term aseity in the simplest way we possibly can and work from there. In a nutshell, when we say that God has aseity, we mean that he is self-existent. He's self-existent. The word aseity is actually derived from a Latin word, which means of one's self. That's literally what it means in Latin, which is what we believe about God, you know, of himself. Uh, He's not of something prior to himself. And of course, that's something that we've covered in the previous lessons here, but there's nothing prior to him. In fact, it's logically impossible for anything to be prior to him because he is outside of time. So, to clarify, we're not saying that God created himself. That's not what we're saying. He didn't create himself uh, when we say that God has a sadie. That's not what we're saying. Obviously, it's logically impossible for a being to create itself, just like it's impossible, you know, in a physical sense, to sit on a chair and to reach down and grab the, the legs of the chair with your hands and to pick yourself and the chair up off the ground, uh, your legs included, using nothing more than your arms to pull yourself up. Uh, it's logically impossible. So rather than saying that God is self-caused, when we say that God has a sadie, we're really saying that God is uncaused. God is uncaused. There's nothing which caused him to exist or which brought about his existence. He simply is and always has been and always will be. And that's what we mean when we're talking about aseity. See, that wasn't so hard to understand, was it? Of course, when we're talking about the biblical support for God's aseity, we can actually use uh, all the same verses and passages which we use to support the fact that God is pure actuality. Uh, back in our first uh, lesson on his attributes. For example, David declares in First Chronicles 29.14 where he says, Everything comes from you. Uh, Moses declares in his prayer in Psalm 90, verse 2, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 17, Paul tells us, He is before all things. Uh, John writes in Revelation 4.11, by your will, they were created, that is, all things were created, and have their being. And we use a lot of the same verses to support God's pure actuality and God's aseity, because God's pure actuality actually logically implies that God has aseity, since God has no potential to not exist. If God has no potential to not exist, then he could not have had a beginning. If God has no beginning, then nothing caused him to exist, and he is self-existent or self-standing. It's logically impossible for a being to have pure actuality, but to not have a sadie. One makes the other logically necessary. Uh, One of the attributes of God that we're going to cover in the coming weeks is God's unchanging nature, or what we would refer to as his immutability. So if God cannot change, then God can't stop existing, and logically speaking, anything which has no potential to not exist must exist 
in and of its own self, which is exactly what we're affirming about God here. So God's unchanging nature, or his immutability, logically leads to affirming his aseity. And a final attribute, which logically implies God's aseity, is the attribute that we're going to cover here in just a few moments, and that is God's necessity. We're going to talk about why that is in, in just a moment here, so stick with me. But first, let's talk about some of the objections or some of the um, the misunderstandings about what we mean when we say that God has aseity. First of all, uh, you know, you'll often hear people ask the question, who made God or where did God come from? Those are very common questions, even among Christians. Uh, this is not something that only an atheist would ask. So even some of the most famous philosophers of all time, uh, you know, these men who are supposed to have had such, you know, incredible intellect have misunderstood God's aseity and have uh, consequently asked this question, who made God? Where did God come from? Immanuel Kant tried to argue that all things must have a cause. Beings are things, and since God is a being, and therefore a thing, he must have had a cause. But we don't believe that God has a cause for his existence. So how do we overcome this objection? How do we answer this question? And it's pretty simple, actually. We don't believe that all things have a cause for their existence. Rather, all things which have a beginning have a cause. So logically, then, and man, I'm using that word a lot today, aren't I? <laughs> if God didn't have a beginning, then he didn't have a cause. Only finite things need a cause, but because God is not finite, that is, he is infinite, he doesn't need a cause. Now, a second objection that you might hear, even though this is much less common, is that it's impossible for a being to bring itself into existence. And so, therefore, to say that God has a seity really makes no sense or it's meaningless. And this objection actually just stems from a misunderstanding of what a seity is exactly. We're not saying that God brought himself into existence. Rather, we're saying that nothing brought God into existence. He has simply always been exactly as he will always be. Again, there is no potential for change in God. So this is hardly uh, really an objection. It doesn't really qualify as an objection. Logically, there's that word again, uh, <laughs> a self-existent being with a seity does not need to bring itself into existence because that being has always been. Okay, now, you guys can undoubtedly see that this attribute really isn't that difficult to grasp. It's not that difficult to understand, uh, and that it, it's really an undeniable attribute of God. But now we're ready to move on to talk about why God's aseity logically flows from the fact that God is a necessary being. Now, when we say that God has necessity or that God is a ne uh, necessary being, we're saying that it's impossible for him not to exist. And you may remember that, you know, we've covered this briefly in previous lessons in this series. Uh, according to Norman Geisler, when we talk about God being necessary, there are actually four things that we're saying. First of all, A, we're saying that it's impossible for him not to exist, as we've already noted. B, that God's existence is essential. C, that an aspect of God's essence is to exist, and D, that God's essence and his existence are identical attributes. Conversely, when we're talking about contingent beings, which is what everything that is caused, created, or finite would be uh, referred to as, we're saying that A, it's possible 
for that being not to exist or to not have existed, B, that the existence of that being is not essential, C, that existence is not an aspect of that being's essence, and D, that the essence and existence of that being are not identical. This sounds terribly complicated, I realize, but to put this in uh, what I hope to be uh, simpler terms, a contingent being could uh, could logically not exist. There's nothing contradictory about that being not existing, but it's logically impossible for there not to be a necessary being if any beings or things which are contingent exist. Because we know that we're contingent, and the world is contingent, and the universe is contingent, and so on and so forth, there must logically be a necessary being. We affirm that God is that necessary being. So, why do contingent things exist? They exist because a necessary being, God, caused them to exist. Now, because this attribute is so closely linked with God's pure actuality and God's aseity, the fact that God is necessary is scripturally supported by the same verses. Again, just like with aseity. Uh, the fact that God is a necessary being uh, also flows logically from the fact that he is pure actuality. Since pure actuality has no potential for non-existence or not to exist, he must necessarily exist. Uh, his necessity also flows logically from the fact that God is uncaused. If something is uncaused, it must uh, exist independently. If something exists independently, it has a necessary existence. And that's a tricky one, isn't it? Kind of. But, uh, you know, just think about that one for a while. Let it sink in, and it should make uh, a whole lot of sense. But, you know, let's talk about some of the objections to God's necessity. There was a, a brilliant atheist who took this attribute of God and tried to turn it over on its head. And uh, he argued that if God is a necessary being, then God can't exist, since the term necessity can only be applied to concepts not to being. And I'm sure that he stumped quite a few Christians with that one, but uh, there's really a simple answer here, which will really make this argument seem a lot less than, uh, than brilliant or intelligent. This argument was basically saying that necessity doesn't apply to existence. However, by making this argument, by making this statement, he's basically saying that a necessary aspect of being or existence is that there is nothing necessary about being or existence. I think that's kind of along the same lines as saying, I'm always inconsistent. Well, you can't always be inconsistent because then you would be consistently inconsistent, which is self-defeating. Or uh, it would be akin to saying in English, I don't speak a lick of English. Uh, you see, the problem is that this atheist was making a necessary statement about being or existence, and at the same time, and in the same sense, he was saying that you can't make a necessary statement about being or existence. The poor guy shot a hole right through his own foot on that one. Uh, you know, the argument certainly appeared to be brilliant on the surface, though. Another argument used by atheists in, in the past is that whenever we're talking about something meaningful, it has to correspond to something uh, in our experience, or something that we've seen, something empirically verifiable, you know, something along those lines. But there's nothing in our experience which is truly necessary. Therefore, uh, as this atheist would have us believe, it's utterly meaningless to even talk about God. 
Again, this appears to be brilliant, but it's got more holes in it than your average cheese grater. Um, first of all, if it's true that it's meaningless to talk about a necessary being, then it's meaningless to say that it's meaningless to talk about a necessary being. Does that make sense? If it's meaningless to talk about a necessary being, then it's meaningless to say that it's meaningless to talk about a necessary being. Follow me? The atheist is asserting that he's saying something meaningful, but at the same time, the atheist is saying something about what they believe to be meaningless. Uh, another atheist shoots a hole through his own foot. This argument defies the law of non-contradiction, since the only way his statement will have any meaning at all is if the concept of a necessary being is meaningful. Secondly, just because we don't understand something doesn't necessarily mean it isn't true. Uh, you know, For example, I haven't experienced death, but that doesn't mean that it's meaningless for me to talk about death. I know what death is when I talk about it, so whether or not something uh, corresponds to something in our experience or something that is empirically verifiable is really irrelevant to whether or not it's true. Uh, truth is determined by correspondence to reality and nothing else. So clearly, this is just a poor argument as far as philosophical arguments go, even though it appears to be brilliant on the surface. And in closing, you know, it comes as no surprise that there are a bunch of cults out there and groups out there which deny either or both God's aseity or God's necessity. First of all, uh, no surprise, Mormons deny both God's aseity and his necessity because they believe in a finite God. If God is finite, then he cannot have aseity and he cannot be a necessary being. Uh, Mormons believe that God has a cause. Well, the false god of Mormonism does have a cause, uh, but the fact of the matter is that the Mormons don't worship the god of the Bible. Rather, they worship the false god of the Book of Mormon. Nevertheless, most Mormons profess to be evangelical Christians, but clearly they are not. They don't worship the true and living God who has revealed himself in Scripture. Uh, Mormons are a perfect example of how, you know, if, if somebody denies even one of God's attributes, they will logically, there's that word again, they will logically deny all of them. And that being the case, it's not surprising that New Age philosophy also denies these attributes of God, since they believe that God is identical to or synonymous with his creation, as we've discussed in our previous lessons. The New Age teaches that either God is in all things or that God is all things, yet we know that all of these things we, we see and we know experientially are finite. Therefore, uh, the New Age necessarily denies these attributes of God. And there are a lot of groups out there that do the same thing. It's, like I said, if you deny one, you start denying all the rest. So, anyway, God bless you guys. If you have any questions, you can email me. Again, my email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And I realize that this is a little bit of a short lesson, but you'll have to forgive me. Uh, these uh, two subjects are just, you know, that simple. There's just not that much to talk about when we're talking about God's necessity and necessity. But, anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm.